title of today's message is Adonai. It's going to be one of the names of God that we're studying for our Names of God series. And we're going to um, find this name, or the way that we're going to study this name is going to be in Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Most of you here know that I grew up in the Lutheran Church, ELCA, just like we have here in town. And the Lutheran Church, as you know, if you've ever attended a service, and if you live around here, it's almost hard not to, um, is very um, kind of regimented, very uh, liturgical in their style of worship. And at the end of every service, they would have the pastor come up and speak the benediction over the top of people. And what it is was um, kind of like a priestly blessing that the pastor would pronounce over the congregation and end the service that way. Well, I don't know if you know this, but that blessing that they give is actually from the Bible. It's called the Aaronic Blessing, and it was the one that God commanded Aaron to pronounce over the children of Israel at the end of their worship services. So I have a, a quick recording of that blessing, actually in the Hebrew language, that I'm going to have Bernie play for us right now, just so you can hear it. <laughs> I love listening to the Hebrew language being spoken like that. And um, obviously, Pastor Yvonne down at the Lutheran Church here is not going to um, say that like that to her congregation. What that says is that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Now notice that the word that they used, it, that he was using there, was not Yahweh. Even though it is um, written down within the Bible, if you were to look at the Bible in the Hebrew, it would be Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh look upon you with favor and give you peace is the way it would be. But because the Hebrew priests were so um, concerned about the holiness of the name of God, they never ever would pronounce the name of God as Yahweh. They would write it down when they, were when they were writing down copies of the Bible. They would write down his name, but they would not actually pronounce his name and would substitute it instead with Adonai. And that's what we're going to be studying today is where this word comes from in the Bible. The word comes from the Greek word actually Adon, which means 
Lord, in the same way that we would refer to an English member of royalty. For example, if for some reason a member of the House of Lords from Great Britain decided to come on vacation here in Whitehall and then decided to come to our church on Sunday morning and he came in kind of with his entourage, he would probably want to be addressed as the Lord Duke of Windsor and then his name. So that's kind of the same um, connotation that the Hebrews would use to um, refer to God. It was a, um, an expression of royalty. However, in Hebrew language, when you add the suffix ai, it means to add a plurality of excellence or persons to that. The same way that the Old Testament refers to Elohim as a triune God, Adonai um, does the same thing to God is it, it puts him as so far excellence and pronounces him as a multi-being person. And until God revealed his actual name to Moses a few chapters later, this was one of the common ways that people would refer to, to Yahweh to each other amongst the Hebrews. That's the way that they would do that. And that's the background of the word. And now to our scripture today. Moses had received his call at the burning bush to return to Egypt and to lead Israel out of captivity. Right now he's 80 years old. He spent the last 40 years in the desert thinking that the call on his life was over, thinking that he had blown it, he had gone out in his own strength and murdered a guy and tried to start a rebellion and that God was done with him and he spent the last 40 years in the desert. Now God is calling him to do what he had called him to originally. He spent the last 40 years leading sheep around the southern and, and eastern side of what we would refer to as the Sinai Peninsula today. And this scripture is detailing an argument, in essence. Moses is arguing with God about obeying the call that God is telling him to do. He doesn't want to go back to Egypt. He doesn't want to go anywhere near Pharaoh's court again. He doesn't want to have anything to do really with the people of Israel. He's too old. He thinks his time is done. There's no way he wants to do this. He almost sounds kind of like a teenager trying to get out of their chores, doesn't he? You ever had a teenager and you're arguing with them to do chores and they'll come up with any reason not to do their chores? It's kind of like Moses arguing with God here right now. And that's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 4 verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, and the Lord there is um, in the Bible as Yahweh, but he says, O Lord Adonai, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who give, makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Yahweh? Now go, and I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for your name of Adonai. And I, help, I ask, Father, that you help me to express everything that means to us this morning, Father. The four categories and the four ways that Adonai expounds who you are to the ancient Hebrews and who you are to us today, Father. Lord God, be with us this morning. In your name, amen. So we're going to spend our time this morning looking at what this means and what it meant to the Hebrews to refer to God as Adonai. 
And there were four meanings that the ancient Hebrews ascribed to that, to that name. And we're going to go through those meanings and then say what it means for us today. The first and primary implication of God being referred to as Adonai is that he is a king. And remember, it is an expression of royalty. And one of the most interesting things about American culture, if you think about it, is that American culture is very interested in the British royal family. You ever notice that? You know what the most uh, watched television event in 1982 was? The wedding of Princess Diana and, and or Lady Diana and Prince Charles. 750 million people around the world, and 45 million of those them were tuned in in the United States to watch that. Almost twice as many for Diana's funeral. There's something within, within the heart of man that the idea of royalty speaks to. It is something that is just intrinsic within our nature that, that just yearns to be led, to yearn, almost yearns to have a king. And I know it's, it's with me, one of my favorite stories to read and one of my favorite movies to watch were movies about knights and kings and how knights would kneel before the king and receive an order and, and talk about good kings. One of my favorite kings was growing up was King Arthur and Camelot and learning about the honor and the tradition and everything, the pageantry that goes in to, being, um, to having a kingdom and everything and the honor of being a knight. And up until about the last hundred years or so, most of the countries in this world were ruled by a king or a queen. There was a monarchy set up in place. And most of these kings and queens had absolute authority over everything that happened in their borders. They were it. What the king or queen said goes. The king's order was never questioned, and it was always assumed to be in the best interest of the kingdom and was to be obeyed immediately. That causes a problem if you don't have a good king, doesn't it? Look at what happened in Japan in World War II when they had a bad king that they called emperor and people literally would throw themselves off of a cliff at the emperor's command. Moses understand, understood the idea of royalty growing up in Egypt. He watched the day-to-day -day interactions of the royal court. He grew up there. He grew up watching a king rule. They just called him Pharaoh. But he was a king over, over Egypt. And Moses understands this. And that's why he uses this term Adonai to refer to God. He is saying, King, I understand you are giving me an order. And understand that I am receiving an order from a sovereign king right now, God. But is there any way I can get out of this? I understand you're the sovereign king and ruler over this universe, and I'm going to give you great deference when I speak to you. But is there any way you can give this job to somebody else? That's, that's what's behind Moses arguing with God right here. And the image in my mind when I was reading this would be that knight kneeling before a king who's receiving an order and just begging the king to be let out of what he's being told to do. That's what it meant to Moses, but what does it mean for us today? I have a question for everyone here today. How do you think the rest of the world, you have to remember that, that our TV stations, our advertising, our magazines 
in this modern age, and really for the last 50 years, have been beamed all over the world. Most of the world actually watches United States television. So what do you think, through the advertising and everything else, their opinion of what an American male looks like? What would you think that, what they would look like? Cowboy. Marlboro man. A guy sitting on his horse, looking over the prairie, master of his own destiny, has answers to no one, sets his own way in life. What was one of the most famous songs of the last generation from Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. Exactly. In America, we worship, whether we believe it or not, even us as Christians, we worship our rugged individualism. No one is going to tell me what to do. That might be a, a, a good characteristic for a citizen of a, of a country to stand up for himself and make sure the country doesn't get too big and too intrusive into their lives. But it's horrible when it comes to our faith. We carry this idea of rugged individualism sometimes into our Christian faith. And when we look at God as king, we naturally kind of recoil from that a little bit. But he is a king. He is our king, especially if you have given yourself to Jesus and call him Lord and Savior. He is king. That means he has absolute authority. You cannot appeal his decision. There is no supreme court of heaven. If God says it, that's simply the way it is. We can trust this king. We talked a few minutes about kings of questionable morality and, and the horrible things that people would do for a bad king. But we have a good king. He has shown us his love for us through sending his son to die for us. We can trust him. We can rest assured that Adonai, our king, is a good king and he always has our best interests in heart, our best interest in mind if he asks us to do something. And as we continue our study of Adonai this morning, I ask you to just take a moment and ask your king to reveal to you, as he was revealing to Moses here, areas of your life where you might be practicing some rugged individualism apart from his kingdom, apart from his word, and apart from his will from your life. Because you will not experience true freedom until you release all of that to him. Thank you, Lord. That leads us to the second thing that God's name of Adonai tells us, and that Adonai is master. This creates an even more problematic um, picture in our heads before us, because this strikes at the very heart of our individualism. But human beings, we were never created. When God said, blew life into Adam. He never created Adam to be an autonomous individual. Do you realize that? We were never meant to be cut, have our umbilical cord cut away from that of God. That wasn't part of our original programming. We were always supposed to be connected intimately with God in order to function correctly. Us living our lives our own way would be like our car's computers, like we were talking about this morning in Sunday school. A computer deciding that it's, our, that it's their life in that car. And your car just deciding that it's going to go wherever it wants to go and not where you want it to go. 
that makes you not the master of that car, doesn't it? That doesn't make you the owner of that car if the car decides it, to, it wants to go wherever it wants. I mean, imagine the chaos that, that would ensue if cars just started driving wherever they wanted to go instead of where we wanted them to go. Imagine the chaos that would happen if creatures decided to be designed to be obedient to a benevolent master suddenly decided that they're going to do it their way. Imagine the chaos that would happen there. But we don't have to imagine it, do we? Because we live it every day. We see it in the world. Every time we turn on the TV, every time we just look out the window, we see what happens when we try to be autonomous from God and the destruction that happens in our world because of it. Humanity was created to serve this greater entity that we call God. Every evil in our world is directly connected with our refusal to acknowledge him in every part of our lives. And whether you choose to believe it or not, you will serve one or two of two kingdoms, either God's or Satan's. And you might say, well, I'm not going to choose to do every one of them. You can't. You're either going to serve one or the other. There is no third choice. By default, you automatically serve Satan's kingdom until you come out of that and accept Christ as Savior and enter into God's kingdom. And because of this default that exists for Satan's kingdom, most of humanity becomes slaves to this kingdom, whether they acknowledge it or believe it or not. Or believe it or not. Romans 6 puts it like this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time for those things you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Since Christ himself is a payment that rescued us from our former way of life, that life that was in the rebellion of God, we who believe in him have been restored to our rightful place with Adonai as our master and as our king. And what that means for us is that you are bought with a price, the Bible says. And if you are bought, then you are a slave, if you are a Christian. And I know that's very hard for us to, to, to even want to have that kind of title on us, particularly if, if you were of African-American descent or, or came from a foreign country where you were recently, you know, generation from slavery. But if you read the gospel, and if you read the gospels, you remember that there was a visceral reaction to the Pharisees being called slaves to the devil. It wasn't because necessarily they were being called of the devil, it was because they were being called slaves. And they had that visceral reaction, even though it had been a thousand years since they'd been slaves, they had that visceral reaction where they're like, we're not slaves of anybody. We cast that off a long time ago. Don't call me a slave. But it's not so with God. You see, Satan's slavery results in selfishness, which brings great harm to others. But God's slavery brings selflessness, which brings life and blessings to others. God's slavery is not a chain. Everybody looks at the Bible as just big book of rules and chains that keeps you from enjoying life. It's not a chain, it's a safeguard. 
Because we can't see where the cliffs are in our life. So it's a fence that keeps us from walking over the cliffs. And the best and most safest place to be, not only in this life, but in the life to come, is in Adonai's house, serving him. That's why the church, early church fathers did not consider being called slaves of Christ to be an insult. They gladly took upon themselves that title of doulos, a bondservant, a chosen slave of God. They wore that, that title with honor and with appreciation. That's what it means for Adonai to be our master. The third meaning that the Hebrews understood is that it meant provider. I'm going to just um, go over this very briefly because we're going to actually look at one of God's names as Yahweh Ira, our provider. But they would use Adonai's name in prayer for God to bless their labors, no matter what that might be. Whether it was agricultural, business, fishing, whatever trade that they were involved with, they would ask for Adonai to bless that because they recognized him as their provider. And what it means for us today is that Adonai does the same thing for us. We might think that we earn the money we work for. We might think that it's because of our abilities and our intelligence that we are able to provide for our families or provide for ourselves. But I ask you this, who blessed you with the ability to do work? Who gave you the knowledge and the skill and the talents that you have to be able to put food on your table? Who has given you favor even in a job where you've messed up, but your employer didn't fire you and kept you on the job? Some of you have even been miraculously healed so that you could continue to work and do your job. This happened to me not too long ago. In 2012, I shared I hurt my knee at work. And my physician, upon reading the MRI report, said that he didn't see any way of looking at just how bad my knee was that I would ever be able to be a paramedic anymore and definitely never be a firefighter ever again. That's what he told me. He goes, you're, you might be looking at a new job here because there's no way your, your knee's going to handle that kind of stress that you put on it day-to-day -day lifting and bending and, and kneeling. But he sent me to the best uh, knee surgeon in the area, one who had a reputation for rebuilding knees that had been seriously injured. And I met with that doctor, and he gave me a sign uh, similar prognosis. He said, paramedic is pretty iffy, and firefighting... No way. It's not going to happen. And that's a pretty big deal if you have a particular skill. I mean, if you have a skill that you have to use your right hand all the time, all of a sudden you injure your right hand where you can't do that kind of fine work anymore, that's a pretty big deal when you lose the only way that you can do work above minimum wage paying work. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, we're just going to trust God, I guess. And... The surgeon then told me it was going to be a minimum of four to six months before I'd ever be able to, or before I'd be able to return to work and even try to do the paramedic thing again. He said minimum four to six months. After the surgery, I was supposed to be on crutches for a minimum of two months to allow the meniscus to heal. Meniscus is the pad between the two bones in your knee. And so minimum at least two months. But, you know, I had a lot of people praying for me. A lot of people praying for me. And God moved in this situation. 
Three weeks after the surgery, I was at physical therapy, walking in, not really putting any weight on the leg. I was just told I had to use the crutches. Tammy used to get so mad at me for doing this. But I'm just kind of just doing a show thing, just, yep, okay, I know I have to use the crutches, but I'm not really going to use them. And the, and the physical therapist looked at me, and, and she's like, put, just put those crutches down for a minute and walk for me. I said, okay. So I just walked, walked over to place, and she's like, you don't need the crutches anymore. She goes, it doesn't hurt? I said, no. She goes, bend. Okay. She goes, twist. Twist. And I said, what do you want to do? Jumping jacks? Dance? And I said, this feels pretty good. And she said, you're not feeling any pain? I said, no. Any restriction, any catching, anything? No. You don't need your crutches anymore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I was back to light duty six weeks after the surgery and on full duty in ten weeks. So much for four to six months. I was then told my, by my surgeon at her last appointment that he could see no reason I couldn't eventually even return to the fire service, that my knee had healed that well. Now, I worked hard during physical therapy, almost too hard according to the staff sometimes. But at 42 years old, my knee definitely never should have healed that fast. I mean, you see pro athletes in their 20s get their knee healed and they're out for a season, a good year, before they're able to return to the game. And I definitely shouldn't have healed that fast. And keep in mind, I was also 320 pounds at the time. So I was much heavier than I am now. And that's God. That's Adonai being my provider. And Adonai can and will be your provider today if you put that kind of trust in him. The last thing that the term Adonai meant to the Jewish people was that of father. God was seen as a father figure to the, to the children of Israel. And that is how they looked at the 613 laws that you see in the Torah. The Torah is the Bible from Genesis to Deuteronomy. They did not see them as burdensome. They did not see them as like, a, I don't know how you grew up, but my dad used to leave me a list of chores to do. And he would say before noon, because he would come home at noon to eat, lunch and make sure I had done my chores for that morning. That's not the way that, that they looked at that, like, you do this or else you're going to be answering to me at noon. They looked at it as safeguards, as fences to keep us from going off a cliff, and not only just to keep us from going off the cliff of sin, but to enable God for us to live according to those laws so he could bless us. God cannot bless us when we are in sin. So he provides these fences so we can stay with them, so he can continue to pour out blessings to us. That's why Jesus used the image of a father when he gave us this awesome example of prayer that you see in the Sermon of the Mount called the Lord's Prayer that says, Our Father. It does not say our King, our Master, our Creator. It says our Father who art in heaven. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with every one of us today. And what that means for me and you today is that there's no other description in the Bible that encompasses our relationship with God better than calling him Father. And I realize for some of us that can be problematic. Some of our dads really weren't the best dads growing up. I know that. And sometimes we can place how we view God according to how we view our Father. But I want to assure you 
today, as we get ready to close our service, Adonai is not your earthly father. He is a good father. He is a good God to you. He wants to heal your hearts and souls from this morning from the wrong ideas that you might have about the term father and restore you to the right way of looking at him as your father. Because of this, all of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ now have possibility for healing in that area and a restoration of faith for what this title of father really means. Adonai is how we are able to see God as king, master, provider, and father. Let's all rise. Let's spend some time in prayer this morning on these four points. Father God, we thank you, Lord. I thank you that you present yourself to me as my king. And Father, point out within me and with anybody else in this room areas where we have been disobedient to our King, where we have existed in stubborn rebellion to your will. Father, help us to realize that as you are our King, you are also our Master. The word doulos in the Bible means a slave willingly a person who sells himself into the service of another. But we have not sold ourselves into service to you. We were bought with the price of the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, we are by nature slaves. Help us to have that mindset when you ask us to do something, when your Holy Spirit moves in our hearts maybe to speak to somebody about you or to speak an encouraging word to the the checkout person who looks like they're having a bad day. Give us the boldness and the assurance and the words to say and the the spirit and obedience to, to do just that, Father. Lord God, help us to recognize you as provider, that nothing we own is yours. Or, excuse me, nothing we own is ours. It's all yours. Help us to remember that when we see those who are in need. Help us to remember that when we write out our offering check to the church. Help us to remember that, Father, when we stand before you, that all these things that we do for you, all the time that we spent working for you here on earth, will be accounted for someday. And we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little, now come in and take a lot and be placed over a lot in heaven. And finally, Father, I pray that you will rescue the term father, whether for the men here, if we haven't been the best father, or if we haven't had the best father, whatever the, the issue in our minds is with how we see you, bring healing to that today, Father. Help us to see you as you who you really are, which is our loving earthly father, or heavenly father. Father God, I just ask, Lord, for your wisdom, your strength, your healing, and your spirit in all four of these areas. I bless your people now and ask that you be with them this Memorial Day weekend. Keep them safe. Bless them. Bless especially the Philipsons, Father, who are going to Arizona. 
Bring them safely back to us by next weekend or the day after, Father. And be with us as we celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, Father. Help us to have that sense of appreciation and gravity of what was paid so that we can live here free. Father God, I ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Happy Memorial Day.